Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In this episode, I'm looking at the issue of ransomware, which hit the headlines here last week with the revelation that the HSE's systems have been hacked by cybercriminals. Later, you'll hear from Connor Scollard, Technical Director of ECHO, a cybersecurity specialist, on how these hacks work and the steps Irish businesses need to take to protect their data. But first, I'm joined by Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times, and I began by asking her to explain the nature of the attack on the HSE's systems. Well, on Friday, it became apparent that the HSE was being attacked uh, in a ransomware attack. So ransomware, if you're not familiar with it, basically what happens is it's malware that is placed on your system and it either encrypts uh, or steals data or in some cases both, which is, is known as double extortion. And the only way you get it back is by paying a ransom, typically in cryptocurrency, and it's usually quite a lot of money. In this case, it's you know in and around the twenty million euro mark. Uh, the idea being that you know you get your 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 data back, get it unencrypted uh, once you pay this demand on the dark web. Uh, the HSC and the Irish government have said they will not be paying this demand. How much has been demanded? It's about 20 million euro, I think, in this case. Uh, so it's not, you know, it, it, this isn't chump change we're talking about here. This is a, this is a quite a significant amount of money. So what the HSC did, which was immediately, which is, I suppose, that the, the most sensible thing to do and what all security experts say you do is you shut down all your computer systems because if they're left up and running, there's a chance that this ransomware will, will basically rip through your systems and encrypt all the data there. If you shut everything down, you might be able to mitigate some of the damage. Uh, in this case, the gang that's taken responsibility for the attack is a gang called Wizard Spider, which are a gang that's been in operations since 2018. And they've attacked uh, state bodies, commercial kind of corporations. They've attacked hospitals and other healthcare facilities before. Um so by no means is the HSC unique in this. And they're a Russian gang, as far as I'm aware. And basically they, what they're after is money. So once they get their money, you know, they will decrypt the data. You get the decryption key and you get all your data back. Kira, can you tell us what exactly, what kind of information has been compromised and how many people are affected? Well, they're still investigating at the moment. Uh, you know, I think it's it's going to be a while before they, they figure out exactly how many people are affected and exactly what data has been taken. There is the fear, obviously, that patient data has been compromised. Some of this, there are reports that some of the data has appeared on the dark web and that's being verified at the moment to make sure that it's genuine. But I mean, usually what happens with these attacks is they demand the ransom and they say, if you don't give it to us, we're going to start publishing the data on the dark web. Uh, it has happened in the past where this particular gang, that they, they have actually published the data if they didn't get the ransom. And then that data can be sold on to other people who can then use it for other means, um, whether it's identity theft or whether it's further phishing attacks. You know, anything can happen at this point. Yeah, sure. So if you're a patient and you're concerned that the HSE's system has been breached and your uh, details might have been compromised, what do you do? Well, at the moment, it's kind of a wait and see to see who's been impacted. But with any attack, the sensible thing to do is just keep an eye for any unusual activity on any of your accounts. Um, I think at this point, most people will have had data leaked on them from some organisation, whether it's passwords and login details through something like a Dropbox leak, uh, which happened a few years ago, or phone numbers through the Facebook data scraping. And you know, people will typically see uh, kind of an increase in unusual activity. So, for example, you might have started getting unusual phone calls um, or 
in the case of some people, and actually a couple of family members had this happen to them, uh, you get an email with an extortion demand saying, if you don't give us X amount in Bitcoin to this address, we're going to release this video that we claim we have of you do- doing something dodgy on your webcam because we've been watching you. And then to prove that they have that data, that they have that that video, what they'll do is they'll send you a password that's been maybe one of your older passwords, or maybe if you're not really in the habit of changing passwords, it might be a current one. And that will have been scraped from a, an attack or a data breach maybe several years ago. So really what you, what you should be watching out for is any sort of unusual activity. Um, and if somebody contacts you claiming to be from a government department, obviously you verify that before you hand over any more information. Now, what's the latest with the HSE and the various um, hospitals that were impacted by this? Where are they at in terms of getting their systems back up and running? Well, some of the systems are coming back up online already. I mean, fairly early on, we were told that the vaccination program wasn't affected. They have, as far as I'm aware, got the, uh, the, the contact tracing and the referral system for COVID testing is back up now. Uh, the Rotunda today, which had been one of the hospitals that had shut down, cancelled on non-essential appointments, um, except for people who were over 36 weeks pregnant. And for emergencies, obviously, uh, they have resumed maternity services. There is still going to be some disruption. I mean, obviously, people are concerned about getting paid uh, because, you know, if you shut down systems like that, if you shut down all your IT systems, everything is affected. So with the likes of the hospital groups, obviously, people would be worried about getting paid. The HSC have some systems in place for sorting that out, uh, although they have warned there may be discrepancies. So people just need to, to keep an eye on that. And then there's stuff like getting test results because, you know, obviously, it's much more convenient to use technology for systems like uh, referrals and blood tests and radiology appointments and getting all those those results, get those appointments scheduled and getting the results of them requires technology. Um, we've been pushing for, I suppose, a more digital health system for years. Uh, in some hospitals, they've been using electronic patient charts. And obviously, once this happened, everything had to go back to paper. Uh, so that slowed things down. Now, those systems are starting to come up back up online but obviously there will still be knock-on effects for quite a while because these systems basically have to be rebuilt they have to be checked to make sure that the backups are actually clean of the malware because the last thing you want is to restore all the systems only to find that the malware is still lurking in a backup and all you've done is is reinstall the malware back onto your systems Uh, so everything has to be checked and that is painstaking and that's slow yeah, and finally, Kira, you were reporting yesterday on a company called Arda, which is uh, based out of Ireland, um, led by Paul Coulson, and it's best known for glass manufacturing. They've they've uh, let us know about a data breach um, that that it has uh, suffered as well, haven't they? Yeah, they had a, a what they term as a cybersecurity incident. Um, we were pushing for more details as to whether or not it was a ransomware attack. But basically what they had to do is similar to what the HSC did, was take all their systems down, all their IT systems down. Now they're saying there won't be too much of a knock-on effect in terms of, obviously for a company you're looking at revenue, um, they don't think it'll be too much of an impact on their full-year figures. But the next couple of weeks, obviously, as they rebuild systems and as they, they make sure that all their systems are clear of the attack, that's it is going to have an impact. And there are additional costs, whether it's for the HSE or a private company. When it comes to something like this, there are additional costs because typically what happens is, you know, a company gets hit by a ransomware attack and then security is bumped up. So, you know, there are costs associated with that. There are costs associated with having your systems down and having to have workarounds. You know, there are costs associated with not being able to carry out business as normal. So, you know, this is something that, and it's something that a lot of Irish businesses 
need to take seriously at the moment. I mean, we have seen, I suppose, the biggest push and the, the most accelerated push towards uh, digital transformation for a lot of companies in the last year since COVID hit because we had no choice. I mean, we went from, you know, we have a, a few hours notice to try and get everybody working from home. Um, and that in itself, you know, it's an unusual situation and it's it's unusual situations that cyber criminals thrive on. So if you look at the the all the statistics for uh, cybercrime attacks, typically what you're going to see is you'll see that uh, in, in times of confusion or, you know, say holidays when people aren't really paying attention. So around Christmas or in America, you're know, around around the 4th of July, where people's attention is elsewhere or, you know, that, that maybe there's not as many people working or people are out of the office for longer periods of time. This is the kind of the prime moment for cyber attacks because, you know, if you do it in the middle of the day when all your IT staff is working, I mean, of course, they're going to notice something and it, the response will be much quicker. So, I mean, the fact that like the HSC, I think it was about half four in the morning when the attack was triggered, uh, but it was basically early hours of the morning when the attack was triggered. That is, you know, it, it meant that the people weren't watching everything in detail. You couldn't see it happening in real time. Now, obviously, they, they were quite quick off the, the mark in terms of shutting everything down. Um, but, you know, the, the idea that, basically that, that hackers will look for an opportune moment and COVID and the disruption that it has caused is kind of like the perfect storm for stuff like this because you have a lot of people who are outside the office, yeah. you have a lot of people who are working on digital systems and companies that had to throw together a solution in a very short space of time. And you know, people are, are, are scattered around, so they're not talking to each other about unusual things. So the, this is the kind of the, the prime moment for these attacks. Sure. OK, well, this is no doubt is going to play out uh, for quite some time to come. Kiro, Brian, thank you for joining us. Now, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Connor Scollard, who's the technical director of Echo, a company that specialises in cloud backup services and dealing with cyber attacks as well. Connor, you're very welcome to Inside Business. Just give us, first of all, your assessment of what exactly happened to the HSE. Well, I think um, much of the information is, is publicly available at the moment around what's happened. Um, obviously, with the HSE being attacked and a number of hospitals on the back of that have been ransomware and a lot of critical systems and services are down at the moment. Different hospitals seem to be moving at different paces through their recovery, as I read yesterday, um, that some uh, services in Rotunda might be restored sooner than they might have thought. But the reality uh, is that most patient services are, are down in most of the entities, as far as I'm aware. Now, Connor, as I understand it, ECHO has been drafted in by the HSE to help deal with this uh, situation. It's a pretty critical one. Um, and I know you don't want to talk about the specifics of it, but maybe in broad terms, because you guys have dealt with a lot of these ransomware cases, maybe just tell us, first of all, how many cases uh, do you come across, let's say, on a given week? On average now, we're, we're seeing a request for restoration from our clients for uh, about three clients in a week. Um, you know, if, if a couple of years back now, that would have may have been one every month, uh, but it's increased drastically, I'd say, in the last six months and definitely in the last year. And what's going on? What's how? Are, in what way are they being attacked? And how are these hackers managing to achieve it? Yeah, that's that's tricky because it's usually different um, in each incident. We hear uh, phrases like the Conti uh, uh, ransomware being used at the moment. Previously in the year, we'd heard about Revel. Um, different approaches and different results, but mostly uh, all most ransomware start, and over eighty percent of the stats show that ransomware start with an end user. So what's happening is people are getting uh, what appear to be phishing emails and they're being attacked at the end user perspective. The person is clicking on a mail. They believe they're going to a legitimate site because the mail appears to be coming from someone either within their organization or from a, a third party or, or, or a customer of theirs. 
And then from there, they're providing credentials. And then it looks like a real page. It isn't a real page. Uh, and the hackers are taking that uh, user credentials and then from there gaining access to these corporate networks. Yeah. In, in the case of um, the HSE, I suppose a lot of focus has been put on the systems um, that are being operated by the HSE and that maybe they were outdated and there was some, they were relying in some uh, instances on uh, Microsoft 7. Can you shed any light on that for us? Well, I could speculate in how that perhaps um, the the operating system and the age operating system might have had a factor. Uh, in, in most cases, it would, depending on how recently patched those systems were. However, in in most cases, the the attackers once they get in, they're going to move laterally across the network, and to the case whereby they're actually trying to attack servers, the kind of things that are more likely to be patched than they are to try and hit end user devices. We're not hearing about just desktops and laptops being ransomware, we're hearing about critical servers. So it may play a part, but I don't think it's it's the most important part. What about working from home? We're told that with so many people working from home that this is effectively opening the door, leaving the door or the window ajar to hackers to get into a system. Is that the case? Yeah, it's, it's definitely increased the risk, I think, to organizations um, around the security footprint because we had to react very fast. I mean, we saw companies running to cloud-based solutions they'd never thought about before, things that might have gone through some level of due diligence for a year or more to get a project running, were being told at an IT team level to make it happen in a number of weeks. Um, and of course, we've all been since running at, at, a, at a ferocious pace to try and keep those systems up and keep people working. So I think that it's definitely increased the risk, along with the fact that we no longer see the office as a, a physical location. We've, we've transported the network connectivity uh, from what used to be physical uh, out to the edge now into people's homes. And it's questionable as to whether or not most organizations have kept that security standard and moved it out now to someone when they're working from home. Yeah, sure. Um, And again, typically with the companies that you're dealing with, all Irish companies, I I presume, um, what kind of ransom has been sought? It depends. Some of the ransomware attacks are specifically actually targeted against uh, end users, so consumers. Um, you know, we might have heard about people getting ransomware on their machine at home several years ago, where it demands maybe a fifth or a tenth of a Bitcoin. Um, and, and as a result, they're looking for small numbers. But with these more directed attacks and specifically around Conti, they're not just trying to hit a number of devices and then give a decryption key. They're actually looking to gain more knowledge on who it is they've actually managed to infiltrate, trying to gain a knowledge of how much money they can afford and how how dependent they are on their servers. And as a result, they will adjust their demand accordingly. So you could range from, and as we've seen, one or two million up as far as 20 and 50 million. And how many of the ransoms are paid? That's a hard one to know because there's two problems with paying the ransomware. The first one is that technically it's, it's, it's illegal to do so especially in Ireland, because it's knowingly transferring money to criminal organizations. And second of all, a lot of organizations wouldn't disclose even if they did. Um, and if and if likelihoods had happened that they would have paid it through their um, insurance company rather than paying it direct. Yeah, just explain to us what Conti means. Well, um, so uh, all of these uh, ransomware attacks have clever names um, for different reasons. But what we need to know about Conti is that the, the, the type of attack that it is, is that they're going to gain, uh, through, the, through a ransomware attack, they're going to gain access into the network. But they're not going to act on it immediately. Some of these ransomware attacks, they will just get in and within a number of days, they might kick off the ransom incident. Um, but Conti is different in the fact that what they try to do is actually exfiltrate data. 
Um, and that's a big risk, obviously, to an organization, not just from a GDPR perspective, but it could put them out of business entirely, not just from brand reputation, but also that their, their private information might be out there for competitors to use as well. So Connie's dangerous in that regard because they will generally exfiltrate data. And if they don't get paid, there's a risk that they might publish it on the Internet for other uses. Yeah. So if you're a patient of the HSE system or of a particular hospital that has been compromised um, and you're worried that your, your, your data might be, might be online, where, where do you go to look and check? How can you check this out? At the moment, you can't. It's the short version of that because I don't think there's actually been any proof of any leaks so far online. But the way it would normally happen is that um, if the data was to be leaked online, it would be leaked firstly in the dark web, which is the area of the internet most people won't and don't have access to. Um, and then from there, it will, it, will, it will be dispersed normally through payment methods. Um, different attacker groups will now pay for that kind of data for different reasons. Some of them might want to do scam calls where if they have your phone number, they'll try and uh, extort money out of you that way. Others might use your private information to try and get access to other systems like your Netflix account or something like that, for example. So it's different uses for the data. And normally it'll start to trickle down through those other entities in the dark web. And then you'll find um, good uh, security companies and organizations will get access to some of those what we call data dumps. And then from there, you're actually able to query those normally available online, like the haveibeenpwned.com site, for example, where you can see if you've if your username, for example, your email address has been leaked as part of any kind of breach in the past. So when a company of yours uh, gets called in by an organization like the HSE or a leading business, what do you do? Well, there's usually uh, two streams that happen. So um, when we get called in, it's usually either to, to help restore the data because they're a customer of ours, and we provide backup services to a lot of organizations in Ireland, but also across Europe. Um, so it's one of two. It's either we're called in to help recover the data that, that we have stored maybe off-site in an immutable copy, or we're being asked to help with the incident response. So in incident response, there's going to be two different avenues that are taking place. First one is the forensics analysis, right? The criminal investigation, contacting the Gardaí. Um, and bringing in the security teams along with you know notifying the National Cybersecurity Center to try and detect how far back this attack went, what kind of data might have been taken or compromised, um, and what the what the reputational damage might be there for the uh, for the country or for the for the people involved. And then the second part will be the recovery incident, actually trying to get services back online. So those two streams would be happening simultaneously. Uh, we'd be normally involved in the recovery incident part trying to restore the data, restore the services in a manner that's clean and safe and that have not got any traces of compromise uh, on them. Is the public sector in Ireland, um, are our systems particularly vulnerable, perhaps because of a lack of investment? We obviously had the crash in 2008 and that probably you know hit us for five, six years in terms of recession and the economy and so forth. And then, of course, we had the pandemic in the last year and a bit. Yeah. So... Um, it's probably fair to say that investment uh, across the public sector has lagged other countries, I would have thought. I mean, yeah, maybe. Um, but what I would point out is that some of the entities we've seen um, attacked, which I won't name names, but some of those entities that have been attacked um, are, are extremely profitable and would have high budgets for security systems. Um, the biggest risk, I think, that an entity needs to take into account is how exactly they might recover from one of these incidents when they happen. Because as look, time is money, but if you don't have a plan in place on how to deal with such an incident, 
then you're going to be scrambling trying to get resources and trying to get the right people involved to help you recover uh, in the event of it. Um, but so it's 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 broad enough, I'd say, to say that um, although maybe that's had an impact, um, there's definitely been cases where we've seen attacks happen regardless of, of the security budgets. And is this something that big business needs to be worried about or should small and medium-sized businesses be concerned? How do they protect themselves? Because they won't have the budget, obviously. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where it comes down to is, is it's everybody. And so we've, we've seen restoration requests from even like a solicitor in Scaries, for example, right. Who had 20 gigabytes of critical data, who, who, who had a ransomware attack on, on only a number of four desktops, right. In a small office. So there, everyone needs to, to take, um, action to try and prevent, protect themselves from these kind of attacks. Now there's different levels that you can go to, to that, but the, the bare minimum is that you have backups of your data. But not just that you have backups of your data, because uh, normally attackers will try and attack your backups and they'll try and encrypt your backup data, but also that you have that stored offsite. You have it immutable in a second location. There's a there's a there's a there's a, a well known backup um, phrase that be going around in three two one, whereby you protect your data primarily where you have it. You copy it offsite to another location where you can get to it quickly, and then you bring it to a third location where it's kept permanently. And maybe for long-term archive and things like that. If you follow those steps, then you would be able to recover quite quickly um, if you had the support and the technology to do so. I was reading this morning, Connor, about something called ransomware as a service. You know, ransomware as a service, if if you like. Uh, I think software as a service is probably well known in the industry. But the idea that somebody is making money by providing some sort of uh, ransomware uh, kit, if you like. Is, is is quite extraordinary and shows that this must be big business. How big a business and how sophisticated a business is this? It's huge. Um, yeah, the the rise of these ransomware as a service is is a, is a new thing, but it's 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 to be expected. In the last few years, we've had a lot around DDoS, and DDoS has moved to that kind of model where it's DDoS as a service. What's DDoS now? Sorry, Connor. Uh, That's distributed it. denial of service, um, whereby we would have heard about. Um, uh, companies being attacked with throughput levels of data that's higher than they can tolerate. So if you have a, a 10 gig internet connection in your office, well, then they might attack you with a 150 gigabit attack. And the idea behind that is just to saturate your line um, and, and take you down. And sometimes they would try and uh, send you a ransom note and, and declare that they'll, they'll stop the attack if you pay or that they're going to attack you again continuously until you pay. Those kind of things have happened on the basis of these uh, organizations are no longer attacking you, these, these criminal organizations. They have no interest in that. What they are going to do is provide the service and take a cut if someone else uses their service to try and attack you, hence the as-a-service model. Now, what's also, I think, um, important to consider is the fact that, you know, back in the 90s, hackers were seen to just attack systems randomly. You know, the idea that they were... Uh, they were they were they were uh, smart kids or, or smart men who were, or, or women who were attacking systems just for the for the fun of it sometimes, and then that kind of went further into what we had as viruses. You know, we used to have viruses used to attack people's computers and and just break them. It wasn't for any financial gain. Um, and then we had a lot of phishing and uh, malware attacks on people's machines uh, in the in the nineties to try and get people to to click on things accidentally and buy things they shouldn't buy. So what's happened is that attack model, the ability to get to a device, has matured and has become now a, a, an organized crime attack method, 
why bother having to walk into a bank and, and try and rob it when you can just use this attack method of vulnerable computers and vulnerable users to get access to a business and then demand money, especially with the use of Bitcoin as the payment system, making it extremely difficult to be tracked by, um, by law enforcement. Yeah, now if you pay the ransom, how can you be sure that they're going to honor their side of the bargain? You can't, uh, Kieran. Um, you can't be sure of that. So normally when people do pay the ransom, they pay it in parts. You know, they pay for a certain number of servers to be released uh, from the encryption. And then when they see that that's happened, then they continue with the next set of payments and, and, and so on and so forth as they decrypt the data. Um, but that only gets you to a point whereby maybe if you've paid, you get your data back. Um, the second challenge that kicks off immediately, even if you do pay, is how long were they in your network and do they still have access? Because if they still have access, although they've honored the deal, they could be still extorting uh, more. They could they could try and ransomware you again, or they could still just be taking your data off-site to use for other purposes. And is there any bulletproof system that you can put in place which will absolutely 100% guarantee that you won't be cyber-hacked by some somebody in Russia or elsewhere? Um, no, there, there is no, there's no bulletproof way to do it. Um, and the example I normally give clients when I speak about this is that I can't guarantee someone can't break into my home and I can't guarantee it's not going to burn down. I, I take steps to make sure I have precautions, I have insurance, I have a copy of my personal files and the things I need critically if my house did burn down, for example. I have a copy of those elsewhere off-site. So I take those preventative measures because ultimately, if someone wanted to break into my house, no matter how secure I make it, they can break in. We've seen it with banks in the past, right? It's only so much security you can deploy before it becomes unfeasible. So no, there is none. And the best defense here for an organization is to be prepared, is to have their backups, as I mentioned, in the 3 2, 1 approach of having it off-site, having it immutable, and then also planning, having a plan. You know, we talk about disaster recovery plans in the, in the, organ in the uh, industry but how many companies have a disaster recovery plan for a ransomware attack whereby they no longer know if they can trust any of their systems and as a result have to shut them all down, as we see in, in most ransomware cases. So we're just going to have to live with this um, for years to come? I don't think it's going to go away. I think that maybe we need to raise the standards uh, within uh, organizations uh, through education uh, and through um and through good projects around trying to bring in some kind of controls, making sure people meet the minimum standards around uh, that we trade with, maybe as organizations, to say, have you got the right security controls in place and have you tested? We, we're, we're ISO 27001 certified, and it's been a big certification for us. And a lot of the entities that we do with have been really pushing for those kind of certifications and won't deal with us without it. Um, and that, that, as a result, has those kind of controls in it, but a lot more. So maybe it's too big for some smaller entities, but the principles remain the same. If you have the, the bare minimum to protect yourselves from these kind of attacks and the ability to recover in time, then at least you can protect your business and keep trading and hopefully uh, not go out of business, which would be obviously the worst result. Absolutely. And Connor, finally, your top tip to Irish businesses who are scared that they're going to be hacked at any moment. What's your top tip for them? Particularly the SMEs, because there's such a big sector in Ireland. You know, I think it's 96, 98% of all companies in Ireland are SMEs. We're a small economy, etc. They don't have the budget. So what's your top tip to keep them safe? Well, two things I would say. Firstly, as I've mentioned before, is have backups and have them somewhere else. Have a copy off-site. Um, use a, a cloud provider. Cloud storage is extremely cheap. 
I mean, it's it's incredibly cheap these days. We've probably seen, even at a consumer level, being offered backup storage for free from a lot of our own providers. But for SMEs as well, you can use a lot of free services, but you can also use good services from, from providers, even in Ireland, like ourselves. And it's it's extremely cheap to do so. It just requires people to think ahead around uh, making sure that data is off-site. Uh, and the second thing I would do is... <sighs> There's an idea at the moment around um, having people get, uh, get access to to their offices. Maybe review it, see if it's really fit for purpose, if it has massive gaps and security gaps and weaknesses in it, um, and try and protect yourself at that level, at what we call the network level, to stop these guys, even if they did get in, from being able to move across the network. Um, and, and also having the right, uh, what we call EDR software, uh, endpoint detect and response software, on your machines. Uh, I probably should have said this earlier, but I'll say it now is antivirus technologies that we used to use in the past that you might have heard about. That's kind of moved on now to EDR technologies. Um, and EDR, what it does is it'll, it'll detect anomalous behavior on your machine. So it kind of profiles you. Uh, and, and as a result, if you only open Outlook a couple of times a day in a browser or things like that, and that's your normal daily job, and all of a sudden you have software on your machine that tries to scan the network, then it knows straight away that you're doing something malicious. And as I mentioned, they're trying to get in through end-user devices mostly. So by having EDR software on an end-user device, you can contain the incident potentially to one or two devices and not find out when everything gets encrypted that you've suffered an attack. And how much is this software? It depends. It's usually priced per endpoint device, um, but it's a similar kind of price that you'll find around uh, antivirus software. It just it has a, a bit more knowledge behind it, a bit more uh, AI and machine learning in the back end of it, so it's a little bit pricier. But it's definitely worth the upgrade. And your, your tip of backing up to the cloud, can the cloud be hacked? Yeah, I mean, yes, the cloud can be hacked. Um, it's a system like anything else. But the layers of technology and security in that make that extremely difficult. Um, for example, the backup solutions that we provide are what we call immutable. So you can write to a repository that we have available as a, for a customer, but you can't delete from that repository. You have no access to do that. So if you did get ransomware, you did get attacked and someone was in your network, they could potentially see that you have offsite backups for sure, but they wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Um, so at least that that second copy is safe. Again, in, in if I go back to the, the house analogy, it's no different than if someone breaks into your house, they could find out that yes, you have the safe that they that they managed to break into, and they guess you probably have a second one, but they can't do anything about that. Okay, Connor, some interesting observations there and some good tips, I think, for uh, Irish SMEs who are worried, concerned about being hacked. Um, Connor Scollard of Echo, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Karen. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Connor Scollard and Kira O'Brien. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe.